Good morning and greetings in the name of Jesus who said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. On cold, wintry days like this, I think of the experience of some missionaries going to Alaska to the Inuit people. And they... Inuit people, the Eskimo people, they didn't do much sheep ranching. Thank you. But the missionaries found out fairly shortly that in the dead of winter in February, when food supplies were being depleted, that in the past years, when that was the case, a young man armed only with courage and a sharp spear would venture out into the cold tundra looking for food. And so his goal was to attract the attention of a polar bear, which could provide sustenance for the rest of the winter. And so when uh, he would go out into the cold barrens, he would yell and he would uh, wave his arms around and get the attention of a polar bear. The polar bear would come at him, having no fear of a human, and would rear maybe ten feet over top of this man who would prop his foot against the base of the spear and then as the polar bear came crashing down upon him, the spear would be thrust through the skin of the polar bear into the heart. And so the villagers would follow his tracks and find their food to last the winter, but also the maimed or more often dead body of this brave young man who had sacrificed his life for the good of the people. And so they told, uh, the missionaries told about Jesus, the good hunter, who laid down his life. Well, when I'd come here 30 years ago, I thought about the little church in the prairie. I guess it's still about the same size. Maybe there's been an addition, but uh, it's good to see the house filled. It reminds me a little of the Grace Congregation at home where we used to have about 50 people in attendance and now it's more like 200. So we need to make some decisions about how to accommodate people and how to reach out to others in the community appreciated the uh, Sunday School devotional, the um, discussion about the leader of the church at Smyrna and about the church at Smyrna. We read about to the angel or the messenger, who would be the, the leader of the church at Smyrna at Bible school. I'm uh, involved in a course called Early Church History. So we've been studying about the leader of the church at Smyrna 
and whose name you might be familiar with. His name is Polycarp. And so it had a very personal application to this man when it said, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Because Polycarp had served as the leader of the church there at Smyrna, now called Izmir, a large city in modern-day Turkey. And uh, there was uh, waves of persecution that came and went, and but at this point there was uh, a call for his execution. And the people there uh, who were bloodthirsty and wanted to see this elderly man die. Well, they watched some other people die too. They were bloodthirsty and uh, were entertained much like people today are entertained by violence. The friends of Polycarp knew that he was going to, he was on the hit list. So they said, we, we need to get you away. He said, no, I'm ready to die. He said, no, it's not cowardly to, uh, to uh, go to another place. And so they took him away to another place and, and then they took him to another place and uh, he was hidden in secret but the authorities knew he was in the area someplace and so they tortured or threatened um, a couple of slaves who knew where he was and they divulged the information where Polycarp was and the authorities went, the soldiers went to his house where he was upstairs in the house and um, speaking about a just man and a man who followed the teachings of Christ he said bring food and bring water for these men they are no doubt hungry and thirsty and he asked permission to pray for an hour as it turned out he stood and prayed for two hours and then he said I'm ready to go now So they took him to the amphitheater where a large crowd was gathered. And the uh, authority there said, You're an old man. We don't want to put you to death. You don't have to die. All you have to do is take a pinch of incense and put it on the altar and uh, refer to Lord Caesar. He said, I can't do it. I'm a Christian. The crowd was screaming for his blood. And so they urged him again, just take a pinch of incense and put it on the altar there. You don't have to die. And Polycarp said, Eighty and six years have I served Christ, and he's never let me down. How can I deny him? And so they... Polycarp was, became a martyr. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. It might be at age 30, perhaps, or the age probably of John the Baptist. Or it might be an octogenarian like Polycarp. But in any event, we need to be ready to die for Christ and also to live for Christ. 
Well, sometimes speakers have a pre-sermon talk. So here goes with a pre-sermon talk. Well, maybe that was the, the pre-pre-sermon talk that I just had. But uh, I'm at Maranatha Bible School, so I've got things like that on my mind. By the way, there are some students from this congregation who are making a good contribution to Bible school this year. I'm very pleased with their presence there and their, their attitude, interest. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Also teaching a course this year called Gospel of Matthew. And thinking about the new year, this is the first Sunday, is it, I think, of the new year. I'd like to uh, make a few observations about the words of Jesus basically where he is saying, don't worry about 2018. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Matthew 6, 25, where it says, take no thought. You can, we'd use the modern term, don't worry. Don't be uptight. Don't be anxious. Verse 25, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink nor yet for your body what you shall put on is not the life more than meat or food and the body than raiment behold the fowls of the air they sow not neither do they reap nor gather into barns yet your heavenly father feedeth them are you not much better than they which of you by taking thought by worrying can add one cubit unto his stature go up another 18 inches in height and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore take no thought for the moral, for the moral shall take thought for the, for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Don't worry. Now we've got the North Korea situation with somebody there who's threatening to send nuclear weapons this direction. So we have some instability in North Korea. Maybe we have some instability in the White House as well. And we don't know what the future holds. But don't worry. God is in control. To worry is to be pulled apart, to be drawn in different directions. Someone said, many people are crucifying themselves between two thieves. The regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. Don't crucify yourself between those two thieves. The regrets of yesterday, 2017, and the worries of tomorrow, 2018. Repeatedly, Jesus says, don't worry, take no thought. Verse 25, take no thought for your life. Verse 31, therefore take no thought, don't worry. Verse 34, therefore take no thought for the morrow. Draw some illustrations from 
nature, the birds and the flowers. God takes care of the things of nature. Things continue on. He'll take care for you. Birds don't need a big farming operation. Lilies don't have textile mills and sewing machines. Think about nature a little further. No bird ever tried to build more nests or more extravagant places to lie than its neighbor. No fox ever got ticked off because she had only one hole in which to hide and rear her young. No squirrel ever had a coronary because he failed to store enough nuts for two winters instead of one. No bear was ever envious of another bear with a larger cave in which to hibernate. No dog ever lost a good night's sleep over the fact that he had not laid aside enough bones for his declining ears. And yet our Heavenly Father takes wonderfully good care of all his creatures. What a waste is worry. So, what can we do about our thoughts and the future? First of all, acknowledge divine providence. He cares for the things of nature. He careth for you that much more. Also, we can cultivate contentment. He gives us all things richly to enjoy. There are the seasons of weather. There are the seasons of life. Poet wrote about present tense. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was twenty, but it was thirty I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was twenty I wanted. The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Be content. A lot of worrying goes on to things, about things that we want. One leader of the early church who was known for his contentment and lack of worry was asked the secret of contentment and he wrote it consists of nothing more than making the right use of my eyes that's the secret to contentment the eyes Whatever state I am, I first of all look up to heaven and remember that my principal task is to get from here to there. Then I look down on the earth and call to mind how small a place I shall occupy in it when I die and am buried. 
Then I use my eyes and look around and observe what multitudes there are who are in many respects more unhappy than myself. Thus I learn where true happiness is placed, where all our worries must end, and what little reason I have to complain. Pretty good advice, I think, at whatever age we are. So, remember God's providence, cultivate contentment, and have proper priorities, as verse 33 says. Seek ye first. Live in the heavenlies. Let's sing that little song, Seek Ye First, a verse of that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Live one day at a time. That's the thought of verse 34. Don't worry about tomorrow. The morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. And Paul, who we might say would have had lots of things to worry about, wrote to the Philippians, said, Don't worry about anything. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Live one day at a time. When our children were small, I remember Barbara sending them down to our cellar basement for some jars. Or sometimes taking jars down to the basement in canning season. So, did she say Here's a dozen quart jars. Gather them up in your arms and carry them down to the basement and put them on the shelves. Or did she say, take one jar and walk down the steps? We got an old house and an old basement, so. Sort of think about that in connection with our days, <coughs> one day at a time. Lay up treasure in heaven. Trust God and seek his kingdom preeminently. Well, we're here in Matthew. Let's continue on with Matthew 7 now. What about judging others and being judged? I think as I read letters to the editor in our local paper, there's no Bible verse that's quoted more than the one in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. If anybody is critical of a homosexual lifestyle or transgender rights or um, anything that's on the social horizon... And it's critical of, of what's happening in society, and this is the verse that's brought up. Let me read verses 1 to 5. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. 
And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye? And behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So, we hear the expression, Now you're judging. Don't judge. Well, maybe John the Baptist got that advice too. Let's consider judging ourselves, judgment of others, and God's judgment of us here in Matthew chapter 7. Now, how should we apply verse 1 in view of the fact that some judgment is mandated by the Lord Jesus? I'm thinking here of the words of Jesus in John 7:24 that I'll read. John 7:24 says, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So we're told there to judge righteous judgment. So in brief, we should judge righteous judgment, and we should not judge unrighteous judgment. Now here in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, let's notice a few things about the context. In this sermon, Jesus is denouncing hypocrisy, particularly of the Pharisees, those who were fault finders, those who had a holier-than-thou attitude. And Jesus said, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness, the superficial righteousness of the Pharisees. Be not like them in the approach that they take to giving and to praying, making a big ado about it. But how can we learn from them if we don't discern and evaluate their life? Also in this passage, it talks about the dogs and the swine. Verse 6, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Doesn't this involve some assessment and evaluation? And then verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. By their fruits you shall know them, verse 20 says. How can you discern a false prophet if you don't scrutinize and compare his words or life with God's word? So, Jesus said, Judge righteous judgment, not according to appearance, but according to reality. Recognizing our limitations. Let's turn next to uh, 1 Corinthians 2, at least I'm going to. You can keep your finger there in Matthew 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15 speaks a little further on this matter of judging and discerning. 1 Corinthians 2.15 But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So the word there, judge, has to do with scrutinizing and investigating and examining and discerning. In other words, don't be gullible. Like certain readers of the budget, if I may throw that in. Be alert to deception. Be alert, thoughtful, discerning, 
Back to uh, Matthew 7 now. The Greek word in Matthew 7 has the idea of what it says, judge not of being critical and condemning, having a fault-finding attitude. Amplified says, do not judge and criticize and condemn others. So Jesus is warning us against a critical, negative attitude toward others. Others. Someone said, most of us are umpires at heart. We like to call balls and strikes on other people. Jesus warns us against a negative, critical attitude. Assessing others suspiciously. Jumping to conclusions in which you condemn another on the basis of how it appears to you. Like the way I did years ago with our daughter. She had this tendency when we take her upstairs in our house and tuck her into bed and pray with her she would come back downstairs. And that was something she was not to do. She was supposed to stay up and go to sleep. And sometimes, you know, she had some excuses. She needed a drink of water or one thing or another. But they were excuses, we, we thought, anyway. So I heard her steps coming, her footsteps, her feet on the steps coming downstairs, and I thought, okay, Time to teach this child a lesson about staying upstairs. So she appeared. I said, Brenda, why did you come downstairs? I at least had presence of mind to ask her rather than jumping into action immediately. And she looked up at me and she said, Daddy, I forgot to kiss you. Good night. I thought, sure enough, she had. So she kissed me and she went happily off to bed. I was glad that I hadn't judged her, at least acted on that judgment, but discerned and, and asked. Wherever possible, we should think well of others. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says about charity, thinketh no evil. We, as Christians, should tend to put the other person in the most favorable light possible. doesn't mean we're ignorant or blind to certain things, but we have this tendency to put the other person in the most favorable light. Thinketh no evil. A critical, fault-finding mentality is displeasing to God. And I think it's the book of Malachi that says, Take heed to your spirit. Don't go looking for and publicizing the faults and failures of others. This can even be in the form of a pious-sounding prayer request, such as, Pray for Sister Felicity, who is facing a lot of struggles with pride. Avoid hasty and harsh conclusions about others. When I travel, and travel through an airport, I often think of this story about judgment. There was a lady who had a bit of a layover. and She got hungry and she went and bought a package of cookies and then she um, got her book 
and she sat down to wait and for her call for the airplane and there was another gentleman that came along and sat down uh, two seats down and she kept on reading and then she noticed that this man was opening up the package of cookies there in the seat between them she thought well the very nerve and he opened up the package and took a cookie so she thought well I'm not going to let him have all my cookies so she took a cookie and he took a cookie and she took a cookie he took another cookie and she took another cookie her blood pressure rising somewhat there was one left and he took the cookie and broke it in half and ate half of it and left the other half for her she was fairly steamed up at this point when her call came to get on the plane she got on the plane and she reached in her purse for a tissue and um, there in her purse was her package of cookies <laughs> judge not that you be not judged Why not judge? Verse 2. It's dangerous. You'll get the same treatment. Think about the story of the jackal and the camel. You know that little story? Won't take the time to tell it to you, but uh, you sort of get back what you put into another person's life by way of trouble. If you condemn without mercy or benefit, of doubt you too. One of the favorite Bible verses it seems at Maranatha Bible School is when I give a test they quote one of the Beatitudes which says blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy at the end of the test. So I, I try to take that into account when uh, I grade their, their paper. So, why not judge? It's dangerous. Verse 2, verse 3, it's inconsistent. Why beholdest thou the mote that's in thy brother's eye when you got a big beam in your own eye? To condemn sin in another while harboring sin or justifying it in one's own life. It's inconsistent. You know, we tend to make allowance for ourselves. We understand, you know, why we did a certain thing that wasn't wise. Why not judge? It's ridiculous. Verse 4. How do you, how is this? You, you say, let me pull the moat out of, the little speck out of your own, out of the other person's eye, and when well, you've got this two by four sticking out of your own. Speaking to another about his sin while covering a bigger, of sin, bigger issue of sin in your own life is not right. And it's hypocritical. Verse 5. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then you'll be able to see. Get rid of the envy in your own life before getting up on your high horse to condemn another, for example. Examine your own life. Thomas Kempis wrote, In judging of others, a man laboreth in vain, often erreth, and easily sinneth. That's in judging of others. 
But in judging and examining himself, he always laboreth fruitfully. Watch out for judging the motive of people. Remember that some uh, people have struggles that you don't have. Someone said, Judge not the workings of the mind and heart thou canst not see. What looks to thy dim eyes as stain in God's pure light may only be a scar bought from some well-worn field where thou wouldst only faint and yield. Look on others the way you would like to be looked upon. Verse 12 says, Therefore all things, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets of summation. Morris Chalfant wrote, Have you ever noticed that when the other fellow acts irritable, he's ugly? When you do, it's nerves. When others are set in their ways, they're obstinate. When you are, it's just firmness. When your neighbor doesn't like your friend, he's prejudiced. When you don't like his, you're simply showing you're a good judge of human nature. When the other fellow takes time to do things well, he's a slowpoke or lazy. When you act the same way, you're deliberate and careful. When the man next door gets rid of his money in a hurry, he's a spendthrift. When you do, you're generous. When someone finds flaws in things, he's cranky and critical. When you do, you are discriminating. When a brother in Christ is mild-mannered, you call him weak. When you exhibit the same characteristic, you say you are being gracious, and so on. Here's an old story. One morning, an outraged countryman drove up to Mr. Blank's general store, climbed out of his spring wagon, and with a good stick in his hand, entered the store. Mr. Storekeeper, the angry countryman said, I bought nut nutmegs here in your store, and when I got home, they were more than half walnuts, and that's the young villain that I bought them from, going to John the clerk. John, said Mr. Groceryman, did you sell this man walnuts for nutmegs? No, sir. You lie, you crook, said the countryman, still more outraged at John's assurance. Now, look here, said John. If you had taken the time to weigh your nutmegs, you would have found that I put the walnuts in free. You gave them to me, did you? Yes, sir, I threw in a handful for the children, said John, laughing at the same time. Well, now, if that ain't a young scamp, said the countryman, his features relaxing into a grin as he saw through the matter. Much hard talk and bad blood would be saved if people would stop to weigh before they blame. Judge yourself. Now then, I'd like to think a little more about our judgment of others. There's the dogs and the swine comparison. Let me read, um, I'm going to say some other things about this chapter, but let me pick up in uh, John 7, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. 
I'm here in Matthew 7 and verse 8. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? If he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will like him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. It came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Well, there's the matter of the dogs and the swine. God has entrusted to us the precious things of the Lord. We should not cheapen the gospel by a lack of discernment. So I mentioned uh, letters to the editor and sometimes other discussions. You know, Jesus refused to talk to Herod there before he was crucified. Paul refused to argue with people who resisted the word of God. This would have been at Antioch and Pisidia, I believe where it says the whole city pretty well came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles." He was not going to cast the pearls before swine. A wise Christian first assesses the situation and condition of a person's heart in presenting the precious pearls of the gospel. 
So we need wisdom and understanding. And so we can ask for guidance. As verse 7 says, Ask and it shall be given unto you. And verse 11 makes a comparison with uh, children asking their daddy or something. So keep on asking God. Keep on seeking His will. And there are the wolves mentioned here in verse 15. The false prophets appear to be sheep, but they're really wolves. We are the Lord's sheep, but this does not mean we should let people pull the wool over our eyes. Judge not according to appearance, but test by conduct and character. By one's behavior, by one's fruit, one's nature is known, as verse 20 says. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. So I think fruit inspection is legitimate. Some early Anabaptists were not alert to the wolves. Some 21st century Anabaptists are not alert to the wolves either. So we are to test the spirits. We're to prove all things. We need to properly evaluate. Finally, let's think about God's judgment of us. Judgment based on choice and direction, as verse 13 and 14 indicates, there are two ways. The broad way that leads to destruction, and so we need to make a deliberate choice to follow the narrow way of Christ. Judgment based on choice. God's judgment of us is also going to be based on whether we do God's will. Verse 21. Not everybody that makes a profession. Entrance to heaven is dependent upon doing God's will, not the profession of a prayer. It's not enough to be religious. Verse 22. Haven't we prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful things. Not enough to be a church member, not enough to call him Lord, not enough to be involved in preaching and teaching and testifying, prophesying, you know. Or even to oppose wrong and Satan's power. Or even have done wonderful works. Someone said in the choir of life, it's easy to fake the words, but someday we'll all have to sing solo before God. So our religious experience dare not be simply superficial or temporary. We need to continue on. Not be a Demas. And our judgment is, the judgment of God is based on a personal relationship. Verse 23. He said, I never knew you. And then our God's judgment is based on obedience or disobedience. The wise man and the foolish man. These two men both desired a house. They both built houses. They had a difference, however, in the foundation. It talks about the two ways, the broad way and the narrow way. That illustrates the start of a life of faith. Talks then about two trees. That's illustrating the growth of a life of faith. And then the two houses illustrates the end of a life of faith. My friends, build in time for eternity.
so that when the storms of adversity and death come, your life will have that solid foundation of obedience to Christ, our Lord and Savior.